Matthew 10, 16 to 23. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. So, uh, I'm sorry, not 1 through 15, 16 through 23, but I need to use 1 through 15 just as a bit of an introduction before we get going. So, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump right in. So, let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I, I thank you for your word and I'm completely aware of, of my own uh, lack of of ability to do anything without your spirit. I am completely deficient, but you are completely sufficient. And so um, I, I know that I am desperate for your presence right now and desperate for you to come and speak in my own heart and in the lives of everyone here. And so I pray that you would come now in power. <coughs> I pray that you would equip me to preach your word and that you would open up all of our hearts and all of our minds to receive what you would have us here this morning that we need to hear from you and your word and, and that you would encourage us uh, to want to live out um, what has happened in our lives, live out this, this call to being on mission and what it means to really be sent on mission for your kingdom. So I pray, Lord, that you would come now and superintend, superintend these next few moments as we study your word. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, we're in a... We're in a series called Compassion and Commission. We're, we're in the book of Matthew, but inside of the book of Matthew, we're in a little mini-series, if you will, called Compassion and Commission. And we started at 9, chapter 9, verse 35, and it's going to go all through chapter 10. So 9.35 through all of chapter 10 is going to be our five-week series called Compassion and Commission. The compassion part started in 9.35 through 38, where Jesus made us aware of the great need of people that need to hear, hopefully giving us a deep compassion for p people. And then the, all of chapter 10 is being uh, the, the commission part, the, the commissioning his disciples to go out and be on mission because he's addressed the absolute need of people to get saved in 9.35 through 38. And now he's sending us out on commission. So that's, that's the commission part. And last week, we looked at uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And 1 through 15 was Jesus talking to his 12 disciples, telling them, all right, what I've got for you is a short-term mission trip just to the people of Israel. And you can see that it's in verse 6 where he says, but go just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's telling them, I want you to do this short-term mission trip just to, to the people of Israel. And so for us, when we looked at 1 through 15, it we pulled some principles out of this short-term mission trip that Jesus has put in his, his, his 12 disciples on, and that there's, there's three kind of stages of being called into being a missionary. The first thing we see there in verse 1 is that he calls them. He calls those 12 disciples to come and join this mission. And then the next part in verse 1, he gives them authority. In other words, after he calls them and says, I've got something I want you to do, he gives them authority. And we know that authority has been this major highlight that has been happening in chapter eight and nine where Matthew and over and over in chapters eight and nine is wanting us to see this amazing authority that Jesus has and now in chapter 10 Jesus gives them his same authority and they're able to do the exact same things that we see that he was doing and so he commissions them if you will that was the second stage he calls them and he, he gives them authority or commissions them and then we see in verse five there where Jesus sent them out and that was the three stages of mission and so 
for us, we say, well, then that's, that's true of us as Christians. We're called, we've been given authority, we've been commissioned because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and now we're being sent. And that third idea of being sent is going to be the thing that's going to carry us into verses 16 through 23. And so what we're going to look at today is that being sent part of that third component, which is what is kind of serving for us as our, as our main piece today. We're going to look at five observations at being sent. So just like 1 through 15 was this short-term mission trip to Israel, 16 is where Jesus is now going to send them on a little bit of a longer-term mission trip. He's going to talk about this, this really long-term mission trip to the Gentiles as well. And I see that, and I want you to see where I see that in verse 18, where he says, and you will be dragged before governors and kings. Those are people that are Gentiles. And it says, um, for my sake to, there it is, bear witness before them and the Gentiles, that them is the governors and kings, and bear witness to the Gentiles. And so we see in this, in this conversation, this big, huge chapter 10, where it's all in red, which is really in the book of Matthew, the second large teaching discourse of Jesus, he's going to start opening up this missionary um, endeavor that they have to not just Jews like in 1 through 15, but also Gentiles. And he's going to, um, we're going to see five different observations about being sent. And so we're looking at this long-term mission trip to the Gentiles that Jesus has given his followers. And there's five observations. And um, most remarkably, three of the observations come from animals. Come from animals, which is pretty awesome. We're going to see that all right there in verse 16 and the other two are in the following verses. But before we do that, before we get into the text, I want to do one small thing because there's a danger for us here at Remedy, especially Remedy, because we have just heard so many um, mission sermons this fall. Um, we did the book of Jonah, which is four weeks about being called to mission to the city. And then I did four weeks about the mission of Remedy Church, which is to go make disciples. And then um, last week we talked more about what it means to be called out to be on mission. And then this week it's even more. And so you can see there's this major repetition of being called to mission, being called to mission, being sent. And so over and over, if I keep telling you over and over how you're called to be on mission, you can say, you know what? Um, this sermon is just a repeat of last how many ever so I, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to hear this anymore. I, I, I think I can kind of sit this out um, because I, I understand the mission. I understand what it is. Matthew 28. I can say it in my sleep now, Fudd. Um, so let me just kind of, uh, let, me, let me say a couple things before we're going in. And I want to use a story. This past Friday, um, one of my best friends, his name's Brian. He lives in Spartanburg, sent me a text. And he said, um, Jenny, this is his wife. John, uh, Brian's got four kids. Jenny was just in a terrible accident. Um, but her car's completely destroyed, but God spared her. It wasn't her time to go. And so I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm texting back when I finally get him on the phone. Um, his wife, Jenny, um, was going to Florence to see her family and left all four kids with Brian, brave man, left all four, four kids with Brian. And she's about um, half, minute, half an hour, 30 miles into the trip uh, where she's she's driving and she's looking over her right shoulder, getting back into the right lane. And when she does, when she when she looks over her right shoulder, she does one of these things. And so she goes over into the left. She's hitting the guardrail. She comes off and goes back over across, and then flies into the woods. And then her car just wedges itself into two huge trees. She's got her seatbelt on. She's you know a tiny little lady. She's like 115 pounds, and with all that, she's completely fine. She's got a big seatbelt bruise across her chest, but she's okay. But Jughead, his name's Jughead, like my name's Fudd. Brian doesn't know any of this. Like all he knows is um, he he gets a call from a man. He said, uh, "This is how it happened. All of a sudden, my phone's ringing from Jenny, and there's some man on the other side, and the man saying." Um, I'm right here with your wife. She's been in a terrible accident. I'm about half an hour away on I-26. And so Brian jumps in his car, takes his four kids to his dad, and drives about 115 miles an hour to to see his wife because he has no idea. And so we would think, well, yeah, that reaction to that situation is the appropriate reaction. If I get that call, some man's calling me from my wife's phone, um, she's beat up, like things are bad, then we're all going to jump in. We're going to break as many laws as we can because we have no idea what's going on. Um, and I say that to say, ta jumping on what I said about the danger, that reaction he had was completely appropriate because he had no idea and it was a huge situation. And I'm afraid that our reaction to the gospel of what's happened to us and our reaction 
that we've been transformed and been declared completely righteous. All of our sin has been forgiven because of the cross. And our reaction to the lostness around us might not fit the situation. We might not be reacting the same way Brian was, with absolute resolution. I've got to do something now. I'm driving 115 miles an hour down the interstate. And said some of us might be kind of lax. Our reaction to the situation might not be appropriate. Because the situation is far more dire than maybe we realize. Um, The situation is grave. And the measures that we take must be drastic. Because time is so little. And the need is so great. And what's happened in your life because of the gospel is so amazingly large. That our reaction to it should be tremendous. Now... I'm not trying to dog every one of you. Maybe already you have tremendous reaction. Maybe many of you are giving many of your resources, giving a whole lot of your time, really thinking about the fact that you've only got a short amount of time to live here and you are, you are living on mission every day. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily directing that towards you, but this is another sermon on mission and I'm praying and I'm asking you to pray with me that this wouldn't just be something you're thinking, oh, this is repeat, but maybe... God would use this to say, yes, I've heard lots of sermon on on mission this semester. But honestly, if I look back, I haven't changed anything. I'm I'm still living out the same kind of half-hearted mission. And maybe you would pray with me that God would use this to finally open up your and my eyes to this world of mission in front of us, this world of lostness, and what he's done for us because of the gospel, that we um, we would be transformed in the way we're doing mission. That after this we would say, and maybe a week from now or maybe two weeks from now, we would say, okay, now I'm living differently in regard to mission because of what's been shown to me in the text. And it's not going to be because of anything I say. It's only going to be because of what God shows you in the text when the Holy Spirit speaks. And so that's what my goal is as we are going into this today. So what we're going to see are five observations about being a missionary for Jesus. Five observations about being a missionary for Jesus. The first three are in regard to animals. So let's go ahead and and take a look at these things. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you. This is not a question. This is to the disciples, but absolutely for us right now. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to ask the question if you're sent. Yes, you are absolutely sent. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep. I am sending you out as sheep. Notice, he is sending us out as sheep. Sheep. Now, some of y'all might not be sheep farmers, so I'm going to take, go on a limb and guess that some of you might not be sheep farmers. But here's the thing about sheep. Um, they're not the most offensive, powerful animals in the world. Okay? He's not sending us out as horses. He's not sending us out as whales. He's sending us out as sheep. Pretty defenseless animals. Not only that, but he couples it, sheep in the midst of wolves. And so, wolves are the ones who devour the sheep. And he's saying... I'm sending you out as a sheep. So what he's telling us with this is he's referring to in this first half of the verse of 16, the way that he's sending us. I am sending you out as sheep. I'm not sending you out as offensive men and women. Instead, I'm sending you out as defenseless men and women. In the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out into the very people who are going to oppose you. So we're not busting in on the missionary scene, if you will, as like Navy SEALs ready, ready just to kind of kill everyone. Instead, um, we're coming in and we're taking this message and more than likely, instead of us you know, being on the offensive, we're coming in on, as defenseless and more than likely, we are going to be killed by the wolves. This has been the, the way it's played out over the last 2,000 years. The way the missionary experience has happened for us. And so... The first thing I want you to see, the first observation, and again, this is about the way you're being sent, is this. You are being sent out as defenseless men and women. And that comes right from the word sheep, or sheep slash wolves. You are being sent out as defenseless men and women. Now, this doesn't mean that you have no power whatsoever, okay? Um, What this means is sheep, in comparison to wolves, are defenseless. Now, we do have the gospel, We have the message of salvation. A man named Jesus came and lived and died 
for you. And if you put your faith in that, you can be saved. That's how you respond to the gospel. We have the gospel and we have the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us. So the power is not in and of ourselves. The power that we have comes from the Lord. We're being sent out as defenseless men and women, but we do have the Holy Spirit. But we are being sent out as sheep. So ministers, this is James Boyce talking about being sent out as sheep. He says, ministers of the gospel are not to resort to power or savage behavior to accomplish spiritual ends, for then they are like wolves themselves. So we're not wanting to um, overpower people. Instead, we're wanting to see people get converted. We're not going out ready to kill people. We're ready to see people get transformed. Spurgeon says this. This is just classic Spurgeon. This is a great line about this. He says, The weapons of Christians are that they are weaponless. The weapons of Christians are that they are weaponless. We're not going in by power. We're going in as sheep among the wolves. And sheep, whenever they're amidst wolves, are basically helpless against the attacks of the wolves. Even the wolves attacks. Whenever the wolves attack, we don't attack back. We don't want to kill the wolves or else they never get saved. We want to see the wolves become transformed by the gospel, by the message. So this is the way that we're being sent out. All right, this is how we're being sent. Now, based on the fact that we're being sent out as sheep among wolves, now he's going to use these next two kind of animal comparisons, if you will. Now, remember, these next two animal comparisons are not talking about the way. We're be- the way we're being sent out as sheep. So based on that way, now I want you to think about these other two things. I want you to think about these other two things. The first one is, if you can see that, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents. Wise as serpents. And the serpent has a lot of kind of meaning in, in the book, in, in the Bible. You, we, you can go all the way back to Genesis 3, where it says the serpent was very crafty. And so the devil took the form of the serpent, and then he's very crafty, and he, he made Adam and Eve commit the first sin. And so <clears throat> you might be asking, so I'm supposed to be like the devil. That's how I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be crafty and cunning like the devil and, and really trying to maneuver and manipulate people. That's not what we're talking about at all. That's not what we're talking about at all. Um, what we mean here is this. Uh, you can see this. <coughs> I'm going to be coughing. I'm sorry. It says, so be wise as serpents. To be wise as serpents. So let's go ahead and talk about this wise as serpents and then we'll understand uh, innocent as does. But let's look at this. This is what we mean. Here's the second observation on being sent. Based on the fact that you're being sent out as sheep, here's the second observation. You're being sent out to be intelligent and prudent as you carry out the mission. You're sending out to be intelligent, to be prudent. You're sending out to be wise as serpents. This means, when we're talking about wise, that we're shrewd. Um, we're intelligent. We're prudent. We're not, we're not being cunning. We're not being crafty. We have a, a sanctified shrewdness about us. There's a, there's a holy manner in which this is happening. Um, so what this means is, is that since we're being out, sent out to be intelligent, since we're being sent out to be imprudent people in regard to mission, um, there's no place for ignorance in the life of a believer in regard to mission. There's no place for being misinformed. If you're misinformed, you need to become informed. There's no place for laziness in regard to mission for a believer. Because we're supposed to be wise. We're supposed to be shrewd and intelligent and prudent and making the most of the time. We're supposed to be making the most of our resources and our gifting. And all. Here's, Let me give you a, a comparison. Of, this is what I mean. We're going to use um, the business world. And I am by no means a businessman at, at all. It, when it comes to business, I am pretty low. But here's, let me give you a little comparison. This is what we mean. If a man is a businessman that is a shrewd businessman, he goes into a city and he surveys the city. And as he surveys the city, if he's wanting to make a profit, he, when he surveys the city, he thinks of the need. Of the, he, he, when he surveys, he goes, what's one of the needs here in the city? Oh, this, the need in the city is need X. I see that this is the need. So therefore, I'm going to create product Y that meets the needs of X. And all the people are going to see this great product that I've made that serves their need. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, when I go there, I'm going to set up, I'm going to create this product. I'm going to sell this product. I'm going to sell as many as I possibly can, make as many as I possibly can. And when I do that, all the people are going to buy it and I'm going to make a large profit, a large sum of money. That would be a shrewd businessman. All right? So in the exact same way, for us, who are equipped with the gospel. Gospel ministers, if we are to be shrewd gospel bearers, 
That means we go to a city. We see the need in the city. We actually have to go there. We see the need in the city. We think to ourselves, I'm going to set up a real strategic, intentional plan to share the gospel in a manner so that the most people can hear this. I'm going to be a good steward of my short time. I'm going to be a good steward of my small amount of resources. I'm going to be a good steward of maybe my, my low gifting. But I'm going to use all my resources as much as I can because I'm hoping to bring salvation to as many people as possible. I'm not going to manipulate people. I'm not going to be cunning and crafty. But I am going to be shrewd sanctified, shrewd gospel bearer who wants to come in here and hit as many people as I can, have as, as wide possibility as I can to see many people. We're not, as Christians, we're not saying, you know what I hope? I hope that whenever I share the gospel with this amount of people, I hope I have the smallest impact possible. That would be awesome. God would be really pleased if I can just have the, the tiniest impact on this large group of people. No one says that. We say, I want to have the, the largest, I want to have a huge impact on this city or this school or this dorm room or this house. We want to have the largest impact possible. And so, just like a man stands to try to make a huge profit if he's a businessman, we as Christians want to strive to have a huge gospel impact for our city. So, what that means is, we are to launch out in an all-out evangelistic strategy. You are... If you're going to be sent to be intelligent and prudent as you can in the mission, you are not to, as a Christian, kind of meander around life and hope just massive salvation kind of falls in your lap and you happen into it and you say, oh, now I can tell you all about Jesus. Um, That's not how it works usually. Usually what he wants, God is asking for us when he's telling us to be intelligent and prudent is to see Where's the need and how can I, as a gospel bearer and someone who is a good steward of what God has given me, develop some kind of strategy, some kind of plan, something. Not There's no room for laziness in the life of a believer not to set up anything. Believers need to have some kind of strategy. And that's what we're saying here. Evangelistic laziness has no home in this verse. Plans should be made. Plans should be carried out. This isn't a a verse that just says salvation is just going to kind of fall in my lap to my friends. So what we're saying here is that we are being wise with our short amount of time, wise with our resources, and wise with our gifting. And we're wanting to maximize that. We want to be as shrewd as possible with it so we can see as many people meet Jesus as possible. Now, you need to know that doesn't mean that as many people might meet Jesus as you want. It still might mean that you're in tough soil and very few people meet Jesus. But if that's the case, that's the case. But you're still supposed to be as intelligent and as prudent as you can. Try to reach as many as you can and develop a plan that will have great impact. That is what honors God. And leave the results up to God. Now, if you don't like the idea of told to be shrewd and the word serpent... If you don't like those two comparisons, Jesus, the masterful teacher that he is, might see that coming in the lives of us who are thinking, wait a second, those are, those are kind of, you know, kind of, those aren't great words to use. You know, I'm thinking those are a little bit shaky words. Well, he, he sees that, and so he couples wise as serpents or shrewd as serpents, and where all our minds might go to Genesis 3, with the second one, which is innocent as doves. Innocent as doves. Jesus immediately couples um, holiness with this sanctified shrewdness. Just if there's any kind of question whatsoever in the way I'm supposed to be carrying this out, so, oh, maybe I can manipulate. Maybe I can do anything I can to try to see people get saved. Well, no, because there's got to be, coupled with your shrewdness, an absolute holiness about you as you do it. And so we see that in the second part, which is innocent as doves. Innocent as doves. So in our vigilance, to make converts, to be shrewd, if you will, to be wise as serpents, always it's to be done with the utmost holiness, which is our third observation in regard to being a missionary for Jesus. You are being sent out to live holy lives. <coughs> You're being sent out to live holy lives. Um, there's no way that I can explain to you Um, with as great as depth as I need to, the absolute importance of you living out a holy life. 
it is absolutely essential as a believer that you continually find the sin in your life and put it to death. If you are not a good husband, that is a sin that needs to be addressed. If you are not a good father, that is a sin that needs to be sought out and addressed. I can't begin to tell you the absolute importance of your need to live a holy life. There's, there's no sin that's okay. Living out a holy life is necessary in being a missionary. And I would venture to say, the more we see ourselves becoming more like Christ, the more impact we're going to see, the more greater our strategic plans will have more success. So I can't, I can't say it enough that it's absolutely necessary that you live holy lives. So we're not being sent out into the world to look like the world. We're not being sent out in the world to be like the world. We're not being sent out in the world to conform to the world. Instead, we're being sent out in the world to conform to Christ so that the world becomes believers in Jesus. And they will do that one way, by seeing our holy lives. And so we're told here that we're supposed to be innocent as doves. Doves in the, Old Te- in the New Testament here is, and you may see it sometimes as a... As a <coughs> Um, a symbol of the Holy Spirit and is a symbol for innocence, a sin, symbol for purity. And so this is what he's telling us. We're supposed to be innocent and, and even straightforward, straight talkers. You know, whenever Nathan conformed, confronted David, David was in sin, had a man killed, uh, slept with another man's wife. He, David, Nathan came to him and said, you're the man. He told him this story and he said, and that's you. You're the man that did it. And so he's very straightforward with him. And so we're not supposed to be, you know, angry when we're straightforward. Very humble when it comes to that, but we're supposed to be innocent and straightforward with people. Um, and so we're supposed to want to, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of man, be pursuing Christ's likeness. Therefore, since we're supposed to be pursuing Christ's likeness in regard to mission, we keep especially close to Jesus as his missionaries so that we'll become more and more like him. And as we're doing that, we'll see, um, I think, greater success in the mission. Now, um, There's still some of us whose lot in regard to mission is tough soil. Meaning, we have a strategy and we pursue holiness and it's just tough. D.A. Carson writes about this sometimes in regard to his father. He says, um, D.A. Carson, his his father was a pastor and D.A. Carson just looks up to his dad. He was a pastor in Canada, um, you know, some 50 years ago or so and D.A. Carson, he writes, I still remember seeing the agonizing of my dad with this small, tiny church being so faithful. And as far as I knew as a son, um, being so faithful and and being a pursuer of Christ, and yet the soil was so hard, he just saw very little, very little gospel impact. But sometimes the the results aren't what we think. Because, and I'm not trying to put D.A. Carson on some pedestal, but this man's son is D.A. Carson, who's written more volumes in his life about Jesus and encouraged the church <laughs> than we'll ever, cons- maybe more than we'll even read. He's written that much. I mean, he has written a ton. So maybe sometimes the results aren't necessarily, my, my point is that the results aren't necessarily things we see right away. But they're like, that's weird. Um, there's a fly flying around me. I'm not like crazy up here. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's the idea. And that was the third thing is about being sent on mission. All right, so now... Uh, We're going to jump into verse 17, and 17 and on will bring us into our fourth one. But let's look at 17. (coughs) It says, Beware of men. And this men, more than likely in the context that we're in, are people who are Jewish, because it keeps going, it says, For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And if they're going to be doing things in the synagogues, more than likely the Jewish people are going to be doing the things in synagogues. So it says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. So they're going to tell lies about you, and they're going to throw you into circumstances where you're going to be adjudicated. And then it says they're going to flog you. This word flog is not like a beatdown. Um, it's not like kind of mob violence. Instead, um, the way this translates its flog is not just some kind of you know flash mob kind of deal. Instead, uh, this is a, a, a judicial action. You've been found guilty, probably not truthfully, but found guilty. And therefore, your punishment is they're going to bring you out here and they're just going to flog you. They're just going to beat you. So the idea of this flogging is because you've been, you know, found guilty in, in some regard of, of being on mission for Christ. And then he says this in 18, it says, you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. 
<clears throat> and everything we do should be for Christ's sake always, for His glory. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And then it says right here, to bear witness before them, that's the governors and kings, um, and the Gentiles. And so now we can see, again, this missionary experience widening to the Gentiles. But we can also see that we are being called, just like these early Christians, to bear witness. This is an important thing that we as Christians, when opposition comes, know that when opposition comes, we need to bear witness for Christ. Now, we're going to see, I know, down in 23, that he tells them to flee. Uh, so when op- some opposition comes, we need to have the power of the Spirit inside of us, giving us, sorry, it's time to get out of here. You know, it's time to flee. Uh, but we still need to give the message. We need to bear witness before our governors and kings. I don't know who your governors and kings are. They might be your roommates. They might be your parents. They might be your co-workers. I don't know who your governors and kings are in your life, but we are told that we need to bear witness um, to these people whenever they're in front of us and they're asking us about, uh, about Christ. And then we're kind of building up. If you're like me, we're going to start feeling a little bit anxious, okay? We're thinking, I'm being sent out as sheep, which means I'm defenseless, to wolves who like to kill sheep. Um, I'm being told to be uh, wise and innocent, so I have to devise this plan. I'm not even good at planning anything. I don't even plan my wardrobe well. Not only that, I'm also being told that I have to be innocent or holy or just like Christ. And man, I stink at holiness. I I pursue Christ's likeness kind of okay. And then after that, I'm told that men are going to deliver me over and judicially hand down sentences that are going to flog me. Um, That doesn't sound good either. And then... Also, I'm going to have to bear witness before it sounds like pretty important people, governors, kings, and expanding out to a lot of people. I'm starting to get anxious. My hands are starting to sweat. I'm getting a little bit nervous. Um, what the world? I don't even know what I'm going to say. Now, we're, we're going into verse 19, and there's a, a fourth thing about being sent, which is a great promise that God gives us. A great promise. And so we don't want to miss this promise. Look at verse 19 and 20. It says, when they, that, that subject there, they, is, a, is, is an ambiguous they. It's not, not, it's intentionally not telling us who that they are. It's kings, it's Gentiles, it's men, it's people. It's, it's, a, it's a vague they. They deliver you, or some, some of your versions might say arrest you, deliver you is a little bit better, but arrest you or deliver you over. And he tells us, because he knows we're going to be anxious. Do not be anxious. All right? Okay, why? Here's the promise. Look at this. Don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. That's good news because I'd be freaking out. I wouldn't know what to say. Um, I'd get tongue-tied. And look what he says. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. If you're freaking out and have no idea how to know what you're supposed to do, this is a good promise for you. For those of you that are scared to death to share the gospel with people when opposition is in your face, you don't know what you're going to say. This is a promise from the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Matthew is not the kind of gospel writer that mentions the Spirit very much, like Luke. And here he does mention the Spirit, which kind of brings even more power to the promise, where he's telling us, you don't know what you're going to have to say, but the Spirit is going to speak through you at this time. So here's our our fourth observation about being sent on mission. It's this. As you are sent on mission, you have a promise that the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say, it doesn't say need, but you can just put the word need in there. What you need to say, he will tell you. And it says um, in verse 19, when they deliver you. So almost as if to say, it's not going to be fair. It's not always going to be just around. You can expect that. But the promise is that you can have a surety that because the Holy Spirit, I don't know if a surety is a word, but if the Holy Spirit is in you, assurance that if the Holy Spirit is in you, that you will know what to say. You will know what to say. He is going to give you what you need to say. Now, if you're kind of a, a, an interpreter of the scriptures, you can be asking this question. This is a good question. If you say, okay, Fudd, now, is this just a promise to the 12 disciples? Because this is Jesus talking to his 12 disciples. Is this just a promise to the 12 disciples or is this a promise for us? Is this a promise for us as well? And without reservation, I think this is not just a promise for the 12 disciples, but a promise for us. We see it over and over that the Spirit, Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 has been promised to us to do all kinds of things through us. I encourage you, not now, but to read John 14, 15, 16, and you can see what the Holy Spirit promises to do. But based on these things, I, I get, I pro, is my understanding that, yes, this is a promise for us now. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit that He will speak through us um, in times of opposition. Now, 
two things I want to say about this fourth, this fourth observation, okay? Two things. Number one, you need to notice the context. The context is, this promise is, is couched in the context of persecution. This is not saying, I'm going to promise you what to say when you're sitting across you know, the, the table from this lovely person in Starbucks and they're asking you these questions and they're being so kind and so nice and they, I'm going to give you all the words to, that you need to say. It's couched in the context of persecution. Now, I'm not saying that he's not going to give you the words there. He will give you the words there, more than likely. But I want you to just at least know, we don't need to just grab this out and kind of throw it up on the wall as a promise in all time. We need to remember the context. It's good to um, not... Pull verses out of context and, and say this is what it is. It's always good to know the verses in context. The promise is in persecution, in opposition. When it's coming to you, he will give you what you need to say in regard to carrying out his mission. So that's the first thing that I want you to see in regard into this. Now, the second thing I want you to see is this. Some of us, if you're you know a lazy-hearted like person like me sometimes, will say, oh, well, that's good news. <laughs> I don't have to do any study. I'm, I'm solid. As soon as the persecution comes, I can just wait for the promise. God, I got, you got to keep your promise to me. Give me the words. And this promise in no way, by any means, erases this command that we have in 1 Peter. I want you to see it. It's going to be up on the screen. The 1 Peter 3.15 apologi- apologetic command that we all have. It says this. Uh, apologetic just means being able to give a defense of what you believe. Um, it means this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as as holy, always, here's the command, if you're a believer in Jesus, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet deal with gentleness and respect. So we're still under that command because we have the promise given to us in this verse. We're still under the command to, to do the work, to know how to defend the faith. But whenever that time comes, we have a promise. Even if we're anxious, even if we're freaking out, we have a promise here that the Holy Spirit is going to give us what we need to say. <coughs> now, going into 21, um, I want you to notice kind of the, the stepping stones of persecution that are coming and, and the greater kind of weight that is put on our shoulders here in regard to the persecution we're going to receive. We see in verse 17, Jesus is telling us that when it says men, this is probably the Jews, that the Jews are going to oppose them. And then in verse 18, it tells them that governors and kings are going to oppose them. And then he says, and even the Gentiles are going to oppose you. So you can start feeling the weight maybe that the disciples are feeling. Not only the Jews, but also the governor and kings and also the Gentiles. And then, just to kind of step it up even more of a notch, in 21, Jesus says, and brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. So it's, it's growing an opposition that even in some cases our own families might persecute and oppose us when it comes to being a believer in Jesus and wanting to share our faith with people. And then it says after that, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now this all, to understand this word all, it doesn't mean all men. If it means all men, D.A. Carson says, not all men without exception are going to hate you, for this means there would never be any converts. (laughs) And we are seeing converts. So we know that it's not all men without exception. Instead, the all means all men without distinction. Um, i.e. irrespective of gender, irrespective of race, irrespective of creed. All kinds of men will hate you. doesn't mean all men, um, meaning all men. But it does say all kinds of men are going to hate you for his namesake. Again, talking about it's supposed to be for Christ that we're doing this. So the promise that we have here, or the fifth observation that we can pull from verses 21 and 22 is this. As you're being sent, it's promised. It's promised that persecution will come. It's promised that persecution will come. Now, it's different for us in America in 2011 than for other countries in 2011. And it's different for Christians that have lived before us. Um, their persecution is different. They, <coughs> their persecution was more along the lines of um, being put to death where ours is 
more kind of attacks on our beliefs, attacks on who we are as a person, being called hypocrites, these kinds of things. These are persecutions nonetheless. Um, but what I want to do here is, uh, before we get into the persecution and talking about that and kind of concluding with that idea, I want to look at the end of 22 and into 23 and kind of talk about those two things for just one second. The first one is, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When persecution comes, the one who endures to the end is the one that's going to be saved. Um, and this is not saying that only martyrs are going to be saved. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that, um, that if you are a Christian and God is, or Jesus Christ is who you have start, decided to make, conform your life after and put your belief in, that whenever you are in the midst of opposition and you're standing up for Christ, for Christ, when persecution comes, the belief in Jesus that you have in your life is going to be so strong that the sacrifice that's being called to make will be willingly made because of your belief in Jesus. Otherwise, if it's not, then what the straightforward way to read this text is, there is no salvation. That's the straightforward way. Now, I don't think any of us are going to necessarily have this in our life. Maybe you will if you go to another country. But from the earliest of Christian history, persecution has come to saints, and it has come in the form of being crucified. It has come in the form of being burned, impaled, drowned, starved. And the reason why is because they have said, I belong to Jesus Christ. And when opposition came, they stood up for Christ, and they were killed. Now, verse 23 um, the last phrase in particular, it says, before the Son of Man comes. Um, D.A. Carson says, this is among the most difficult verse in the New Testament to understand, which is awesome. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, but basically, and it says this, when they persecute you, now he's talking to his disciples, when they persecute you in one town, whenever it comes so difficult, he tells them that it's time to flee to the next. So when, pers- when you've shared the gospel, they oppose you when it becomes so difficult it's better that the way that other people are going to hear about Jesus is that you are breathing. And so they're not going to hear about Jesus from you if you can't talk. So it's better that you would flee and go to the next place, stay alive, and continually share in the gospel. Now, this is only going to be known, whether it's your time to stay or go, by the Spirit in you. I, I can't begin to venture to say, because I've never even been put in the situation, if, if a guy tries to stay, that he was disobedient, or if a guy flees, that he's disobedient. I, I believe the Holy Spirit leads us. But in this text, he's telling them, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You won't have gone through all these towns in, in Israel, in this region, until I come. And there's three ways to understand this. People say it's this coming is the resurrection. Before I go to the cross and I come back, you wouldn't have done it all. Some people say, no, it wasn't the resurrection. It was 70 AD when Jesus, um, by the Spirit, came and declared judgment on Israel and destroyed, all, and destroyed the temple. And so really saying... By 70 A.D., you won't have gone through all the towns in Israel until I come and pronounce judgment. And some people say, no, you won't have gone through all the towns of Israel before the second coming, before I come. It's, and which all of those have problems. Um, but really, the most important thing is this. The principle that's being lifted out is um, you don't have time to do as much as you possibly want until I come. Therefore, if that's the case, fast forward to us, we don't have a whole lot of time. The principle that we can pull out of this, whatever option it is, is you have a short life and there are a lot of people. The lostness is vast among you. Share the gospel with people because you don't know when Christ is going to come. You don't know when he's going to come. So jumping back over to point two, be prudent, be intelligent, be shrewd, make a plan. Don't be an evangelistic, lazy person and have nothing to do with evangelism. Make a plan grab other people and say, hey, we're supposed to make a plan. I can't do it all on my own. Let's me and you partner with our life together. Maybe that's your spouse. A good idea if it is. But maybe you have some other friends as well that you want to make a plan with, short-term or long-term with. The, go- the point is to make a plan because persecution is going to come. Let's jump back over to this fifth one. And it says, it says that um, the, 
the fifth observation that we can make in regard to living out mission is that we are promised persecution will come. Let me read a text to you from, from 2 Timothy. Uh, it says this, 2 Timothy 3.12. It'll be on the screen here. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if we're wondering if that fifth observation is absolutely true, is it absolutely true that I'm promised persecution? Yes, it is. Because all who want to live a godly life, who want to live a life innocent as doves, Christ-likeness, they will be persecuted. What does this persecution look like for us? What does it look like for us? It's going to be different. It's, it's going to be drastically different. Um, for some of you, it might be real physical persecution. For some of you, for most of us, maybe it won't be. Um, <clears throat> but what I'd like to do in any regard of what it might be, I've read this story I know before at Remedy. It's short, and um, I just want to encourage us in this. I've read it before, but I want to read this story just as an encouragement to us that in whatever form the Lord chooses to bring opposition and persecution into your life, that we would all resolve to be like this man. We'd all resolve to be like this man. And the story goes, Thomas, his friend lowered his voice so as not to be heard by the guard. I have one favor to ask of you. I need to know if what the others say about the grace of God is true. The others referring to the martyrs. I need to know if it's true. Tomorrow, Thomas, when they burn you at the stake, this is in 1555, tomorrow when they burn you at the stake, if the pain is tolerable and your mind is still at peace, Thomas, lift your hands above your head. Do it right before you die, Thomas. I have to know. And your lifted hands will be the sign that lets me know that it's worth it. Thomas Halker whispered back to his friend, I will. The next morning, Thomas Halker was bound to the stake and the fire was lit and the fire burned a long time. But Halker remained motionless. His skin was burnt to a crisp and his fingers were gone. Everyone watching supposed he was dead. Suddenly, miraculously, Halker lifted his hands, still on fire, over his head for his friend. And not only did he lift them, he lifted them over his head, he reached up to the living God, and with great rejoicing, he clapped them together three times for his friend. And the people that were there broke out in shouts of praise and applause. And Halker's friend had his answer. Yes, it is worth it. Whatever the persecution might come to you, it is absolutely worth it. The grace of God in your life, the favor that you received to be a martyr is precious. Psalm 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord are the martyrs of His saints. The death of His martyrs, His saints. We know that it's worth it. And so as we're going into our, our time of response, hopefully as we're thinking, because I've been sent on mission and I have these five observations being told to me, what is it that my life is supposed to look like? I'm asking you and I'm pleading with you to consider where you've come if you're a believer in Christ right now and start saying, am I being sent like a sheep, ready to be a sheep among the wolves? I'm not trying to oppose them. I'm trying to convert them. Am I shrewd? Do I have a plan? Is there any form of thought in my life that the, the lostness is, a vast, is vast and I have an obligation as a follower of Jesus to make a plan, devise a plan and not be lazy? Is there a thought in my mind that I am to pursue holiness in my life? I am to be as Christ-like as possible in front of every person. There is no sin in my life that's okay. Am I leaning in and loving this promise that whenever it's time to speak when opposition comes God in the form of the Spirit the person of the Holy Spirit is going to speak through me what a precious promise to know that it's not me that speaks that God who speaks through me am I leaning in on that and am I realizing that if I'm going to be faithful in living out this mission it might mean persecution it might mean persecution but that's okay because 
praise God, it's worth it. He is more precious than anything. The fact that the gospel has declared a wretched sinner like me righteous. I'm going to do it. Where are you? And I would just ask in this time of reflection where we sing, think about where you are. Here's the deal. If you're not where you are, God's not angry at you. If you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death has, been, has transformed us. It is, has been paid for by Jesus. It's all gone and He has declared you righteous before Him in Christ. All you need to do is say, okay, then it's time for me to make a plan. I have a short amount of life, a short amount of resources, and a short amount of gifting, a small amount of gifting, and I'm going to use this to hit as many people as possible as I can. And let's just pray through that over this time and ask yourself, where can you change? Ask yourself where you can become more holy. Lean in on this promise. I want you to think through these things as we respond. And then, when the Lord leads, just worship Him for these great things He's declared already in your life about the gospel. Praise Him that you are holy because of the gospel. Praise Him that you have the capacity to become more Christ-like because of His Spirit in you. Praise Him that you have a promise that when opposition comes and you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. These are all great reasons to worship Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you are (laughs) so kind to us. I am the first to declare I am a sinner in desperate need. Thank you for the good news that you came and lived and died in my place. (coughs) And I thank you that you put it within me to respond to the gospel, the good news that you came and died in my place, and I've received eternal life. And based on that, Lord, and based on what you've done in my life and the lostness around me, I don't want to forsake any more days And I pray, Lord, that that would be the prayer of my friends here today. That they would examine their hearts, they would examine their lives, and consider where they are in regard to mission. And for those that are doing well, Lord, encourage them. And for those that maybe aren't doing well, encourage them. Comfort us now if we have vestiges of laziness when it comes to telling people about Jesus. If we have places in our heart that seem to just be apathetic or not caring comfort us when we have that don't condemn us we know you won't we know that you will convict us but conviction always comes with comfort we thank you be with us now as we respond may it be a sweet time of response may it be a sweet time of commitment in our lives to jesus and lord whether you bring the harvest or not whether we are given fertile soil or whether we're giving rough soil May we live lives for your name's sake and be absolutely satisfied with the results because our satisfaction is in Jesus and his work on the cross for us. Our satisfaction is in the gospel and it's our joy to serve and our joy to be on mission. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.